So 2020, it's been the year of many different things. But in addition to, to a lot of the uh, frustrating things, you know, we've been in this Bible reading plan this year. And I know uh, many of us, if not all of us, haven't been, maybe haven't been reading it as regularly lately. I mean, I, I feel like the pulse I was getting was there was a lot more diligence with the reading plan earlier on. But I mean, we've, um, to different degrees, we've been working our way through this, through the story of God where we are heavy in Genesis and creation back in January, right? And we have moved through the story of God and through this reading plan, hitting the high points. And I love that because when you start seeing how the high points all connect together, you see how our God is on the move. And what an important thing to grasp in the middle of this pandemic crazy year to see that our God has been in control. Even in the worst of situations in the garden where Adam and Eve were kicked out, right? Sin, rebellion, death, I mean, here we go, right? But God still had a plan to make all things new, to bring his grace, to bring his redemption through his son, Jesus. We celebrate that at Christmas as we celebrate always as a climax of his, the great story, right? Of God making all things new. And so this great story, I mean, it works its way up to, to the redemption, to the cross where Jesus, you know, we win. Jesus wins. He has achieved the victory. Now we're in this phase of reconciliation that we've been reading about through Acts and the letters, uh, the New Testament letters, where the, the victory is already won, but, but God is sending out his people to, to go and reach more and more people so that his, his name may be known and the kingdom may extend, the rule and reign of God may extend through all the earth. And once that is reached the point where, where God is satisfied with that, the culmination of his plan, then Jesus will come again. The second advent, right? This last month, we've been all talking all about the first advent, right? People were, the people of God were waiting. They were waiting, right? I, my, my kids, I was staring at our Christmas presents. They've been waiting. I'm like, y'all don't even know what waiting is. I mean, they were waiting. And now we are, here we are in the second phase, and we are waiting for him to come again. And he is going to come again just as he's promised. That is the second advent. And so, maybe some of you have still been doing the reading plan. Maybe some of you guys never even started the reading plan. I encourage you, as we finish out 2020, to give it a shot one more time because some of these last letters that we get to explore. Now, if we, last week was 1 Peter, 2 Peter, right, and some other ones. And then the one, the one book that everybody loves to talk about studying until they actually get into it, and they're like, I don't know what's going on. Revelation is this next week. Cool thing about F260 is uh, now, while I encourage you to read all of Revelation one day, F260 is going to hit the high points of Revelation. So you read those chapters and recognize there's going to be things you don't understand, but focus in on the things that are clear because there are some very clear things about what our God is doing and the culmination of his plan. Last things. Okay, that's such an important thing about what God is doing to understand what God wants us to know about the last things and how should we live in light of that? So you got me for two weeks here where I've got, I get to bring two messages for some of these last books. Today we're going to look at 2 Peter 3, which is on page, I wrote that down for you guys. If you're using one of the Bibles then you're, uh, that's underneath the chairs, page 802, right? And next week, Revelation 20 through 22, where we'll talk about some of the most important things to know, the things that are absolutely clear about what God is going to do, living in light of eternity. Remember this, we'll get to that. But. So that's what, that's what we're talking about today, right? Last things, a lot of fascination with last things. People are always uh, excited to talk about prophecy and all that. And um, 
Sometimes I think motivation is not in the right place, or maybe they're fixed on the last, on the last things for the wrong reasons, such as a global pandemic. You know, before I came in, I just, for kicks, because I hadn't done it already, I Googled pandemic and, uh, and last things, or COVID and last things. And all these articles, are we living in the end times? Are we living? Tell you what, we are living in the end times that started 2,000 years ago and extend up until whenever Jesus comes again. Yes, we are in the last thing, end times. We don't, well, we'll get into that. I'm, I'm like stealing all the main points of my message here. Page 802, 2 Peter chapter 3. That's where we're going we're gonna to explore Peter's uh, Peter is rendition, or his, his letter to the early church. Okay? Let, me, uh, let me start off by reading the first four verses together with you guys. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, filling their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Peter did a cool thing for us. We're jumping in chapter three here, but he, he almost gives us like a new introduction to the letter. And there's an introduction in chapter one, but we get uh, most of the introduction that we need here in in chapter three. And so who's writing? Well, it's Peter, right? Okay, now first of all, I'm gonna apologize up front because at some point in this sermon, I'm gonna say Paul because I'm so used to saying Paul's letters. Y'all know what I mean? Because we always read Paul's letters, but Peter has awesome letters. So when I say Paul, I'm talking about Peter. Peter, if you're here on Christmas Eve, Justin uh, preached from first Peter. I tell you, what, I love that letter. And I, I wanted to, I thought about preaching from, from that one, but I, um, Initially, Justin was going to, and then the pandemic did weird things, and, and uh, or no, snow, I mean, ice storms, who can't keep track of it all. But anyways, weird things happened. We didn't get First Peter, but I fell in love with Second Peter when God kind of brought me to this letter. This great letter. But anyways, Peter, we know about Peter, right? If you go through the Gospels, it was Peter, one of the, one of the most beloved disciples that was with Jesus in it, the most. I mean, there was the 12 disciples, but there were three that were with him through the most intimate of moments and saw Jesus in his fullest glory. Peter, who triumphantly stepped up with some of the most heroic moments and then triumphantly stepped, tripped over himself with some of the biggest blunders. You know, he really sensed, uh, he was a real dude. You know, I can relate to Peter. He, uh, he messed up a lot, but God, Jesus was working in Peter to, to really step out and lead the church in some cool ways when Jesus rose again, and one of the cool parts of Peter's leadership is that he wrote these letters to us. Now, there's some debate, scholars, about whether or not it's actually Peter who wrote this second one, but uh, I read this, and it's, um, I believe it was Peter, but um, you know, regardless, I mean, we, 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 these are Peter's words. It's definitely Peter's influence to the early church. Okay, so this is the second letter that I'm writing. We can, we can imagine, I mean, it's fair to say that the first one he's referring to would be First Peter, okay? And this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. He uses that word beloved several times. This is not just a random letter that he, he mailed off to a bunch of people who are learning about Jesus. No, he's writing to the church, those who are in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. That word beloved says, whether I know you or not, you are near and dear to me, near and dear to God. And guess what, guys? We, get to, we, can, we are part of that beloved, right? 
And Peter has great concern. Second letter, okay? First letter full of awesome stuff about the Christian life. Second letter, Peter knows it's almost the end for me, okay? What do I need to pass on to you guys? And, and you guys that I'm writing to here, and, and you know, we learned from First Peter that he was writing to like five different provinces in, in um, uh, Western Asia at the time. And he's writing to them. And, and here, he, he wants to make sure they really get some important stuff before he moves on. Now, before I jump ahead of myself here, uh, well, I will jump. A reminder. That word reminder is key. That word reminder is over and over and over and over again in this letter. We see it like three times here in these two verses where it said, I am stirring up your mind, right? That's a minder, right? Your sincere mind. like, I know you've got a Christian mind right now, but I, I need you to have like the fullest, sincere, wholesome Christian mind, like purely the things of Jesus, okay? Because that's what, it, what you, want, you first had when you first came to Christ, but life happens and, and that, that tends to kind of clutter our minds. It becomes less sincere. It becomes less fully devoted to Jesus. But I'm going to stir that up because it needs to, to be fully all about Jesus. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder so that you should remember. That's a whole bunch of repetition, right? Redundant. Well, whenever, whenever you see redundant in the Bible, that doesn't mean that they're a bad writer. That means this is important. Guys, I know you know the gospel. I know you know you're part of the church. I know you know that Jesus rose again, but we need to really get stirred up in these truths. So he's stirring them up. He says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets of the commandment and the Lord and Savior through your apostles. All right, so what? What's he talking about? Well, first of all, two different things. I need you to remember predictions of the holy prophets. Okay, so the prophets, the whole Old Testament, right? Prophets pointing to the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. They talked about a lot of things about the kingdom of God. But um, from here, predictions, right? This is talking about future things, last things. I'm going to give you a theological term, eschatology. Okay, there's, when you get into theo theology, systematic theology, there's always a term for, um, you know, like Christology is about Jesus, right? Uh, ecclesiology is the church eschatology is the last thing. So these prophets were talking about eschatology, okay? And the commandment of the Lord and say, what is the commandment of the Lord? And say, well, it's to mean a lot of things, but most likely what this is talking about, Jesus taught us how to live, right? Jesus taught us how to live. He did a lot of things, but he taught us how to live. That's the commandments of Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor, and there's a lot about following Jesus. The Jesus way, okay? Ethics. Right here, you've got a summary of what 2 Peter is all about. Eschatology and ethics, right? The predictions of the prophets and the way of Jesus. Or to put it in non-theological terms, instead of eschatology, let's talk expectations, right? The last things, the eschatology. These are expectations based on scripture of what Jesus is doing. And instead of ethics, we'll call them behavior, right? The things we do. So if, you, if, you don't, if you're not tracking with me with eschatology, influences ethics, how about our expectations influences our behavior? Our expectations influence our behavior, and vice versa. They work together. That's what we're going to see throughout 2 Peter chapter 3. So, second, or Peter, he's writing to stir up their minds, remind them of their expectations and the ethic, the Jesus way that Jesus, that Jesus taught them, the way they taught they live, and how that works together. We've got to remember these things. So that's where he is going with 
this letter, that key word, remember, right? When I think of memory and memory issues, you wanna know who I think of? My clicker's a little slow, but there we go, boom. There we go, who is this? There we, I'm so glad we have kids in here. We are saved, guys. We got all the kids in here, family service. You guys are crucial to what we are doing today. This is Dory. Okay, Dory is from what movie? There you go. He says, Nemo, Finding Nemo, the sequel, Finding Dory. She got, she's so awesome. She got her own sequel after Nemo. Um, yeah. Ne- Dory had a problem. She was awesome. She was a lot of fun, but she had short-term memory loss. She'd be going in a direction, and she knew exactly what was doing. All of a sudden, she had no clue why she was there, how she got there, what she was going to do when she got there. She, just, she lost it, right? And so when I think of 2 Peter's letter to us here in the church, we got memory issues too, Okay. Or is it just me? No, no. We have memory issues too. We have short-term memory loss issues where we need to be stirred up to remember. So Dory's going to help us out along the way, okay? So Houston kids, I'm so glad you're here, right? So every time you see a picture of Dory, she's going to, tell, she's going to help us out and identify seven things to remember as we go through 2 Peter chapter 3. And every time we see the picture of Dory, I'm going to say, okay, kids, and by kids, you'd be whatever age you want to be. I'm a 42-year-old kid who would certainly be participating if I were in the seats, but kids, whenever we see Dory, you can say, what does Dory want us to know? Remember this. So I'm going to practice this right now with you guys. All right, kids, what does Dory want us to know? Remember this. That's pretty good. Let's try it one more time. What does Dory want us to know? Remember this. Remember this. All right, so that, she's going to show up a few times. Remember this. Let's keep going. <coughs> if you haven't seen Nemo, it's such a great movie. All right. Let's look closer at verse 3. Knowing this, okay, remember this. Knowing this, that we need to, our memories need to be stirred up. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Scoffers will come with scoffing. Scoffers, I don't usually refer to people as scoffers. Sometimes I think in terms of there's, there are skeptics out there. There are mockers out there. There are people that when I say, I believe Jesus died for me, they will say that is foolishness. I believe that God created everything that is foolish. There is skepticism out there. There are many skeptics. And I tell you what, they have, uh, that has been around for a while. It's just kind of morphed, like the, the, the way the skepticism has maybe, maybe expressed itself. You know, you can go back to the, uh, the 1600s, 1700s, and that was the age of enlightenment, okay? Age of enlightenment, where there was the rise of science and philosophy, where everything needed to be explained logically, all right? And, and if, if it couldn't be explained logically, it, uh, it's foolishness, it's foolishness, right? Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? There, there's, well, yeah. Scoffers, who do they follow? Because we all follow somebody, right? I, the church of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you follow Jesus Christ. If you aren't following Jesus Christ, you follow your own sinful desires, okay? Your direction 
matters. Your direction is going to affect your expectations. It's going to affect what you believe about who God is, what he is capable of, and how he is moving. Okay? Your direction matters. Who are you following? Because if you're not following Jesus, that, that's where skepticism rises up. Or if you're not following Jesus, but you're still in the church and you want to follow Jesus, that's where you are so susceptible to giving in to the scoffers out there who tell you it's foolishness. Okay? So, we've got our friend, our friend Dory here, and Dory wants us to know what? Remember this. this. And what Dory wants us to remember this time is that direction influences expectations. Direction influences expectations, okay? Uh, What do you believe? Do you believe God's word about what it says about when he will return, Okay? Direction influences expectation. We're going to keep going. We're going to look at verse 4. All right. Verse 4, it says, They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Okay, this is one of the prime examples of an argument that a skeptic will give. Where is the promise of his coming? All right. Now, we've got to keep in mind that this was written during the first couple of centuries of the church. And when Jesus said, I'm coming soon, there were many who, who truly expected um, that he was coming like right away, in my lifetime kind of soon, right? Because Jesus wasn't specific. And he did that intentionally because we are not to know the time, right? But uh, you can imagine how that would have been a shock to their faith, right? Well, where is Jesus? I did expect him to come back. He wrote... He rose again from the dead. The church has started. It's gone to the entire Roman world. That's the whole world right now. Why hasn't he come, up, come back? It, is my faith, like, do I, is my faith valid? Or is it foolishness? Because the scoffers, the skeptics, they are telling me that it is foolishness. Where is the promise of his coming? Okay? And then there's others that when they heard of Jesus rising again and Jesus coming back, they say, that doesn't make any sense. That's impossible. Miracles do not happen. If I can't explain it with my own mind, it's not possible. It's foolishness, okay? Uh, So since the fathers have fallen asleep, ever since the the beginning of creation, nothing has changed. This is, to put a label on it, this is a classic example of naturalism. Naturalism says I must be able to explain it in my mind. I was talking about the enlightenment, right? the rise of philosophy and science, all these things. If it can't be explained by these things, if it can't be explained by particles, chemistry, biology, astronomy, all these ologies, right, that we have, that we have, uh, the brilliant men have come up with, then it can't happen. And the cross is foolishness, and the return of Christ is foolishness, okay? Um, that's, now, now why, would they, why would they conclude that? Because... Uh, their expectations were limited to their direction, right? And and it was limited to what they could see, their own experience. But God has a way, God specializes in working in ways that are completely counter to what we're experiencing, to completely counter to what our mind can handle. That's why it's called supernatural, right? God is supernatural. He is outside of the creation. Therefore, he can... do whatever he wants within the creation, 
getting ahead of myself again. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there on that point. We're gonna keep going. There's our friend Dory. What does Dory want us to know? Yeah. Remember this. What do we need to remember about verse four here? Natural people won't see the supernatural. Natural. If you are not in Christ, if you're not following Jesus, if your direction is not towards Jesus, you're going to miss God supernaturally working in this world. You won't. The cross will seem foolishness. Jesus coming again will seem foolishness. And when I share about miracles happening in my life, natural people can't see it. Fortunately, God has given us a way through Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, to cross over from being natural people, as we're all born into, to being in Christ, child of God, experiencing the supernatural life. Then we can truly grasp supernatural things, right? Is science bad? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'd say one of the great errors of the church is completely dismissing science. God has, has raised up brilliant people uh, to, to understand things in this world. And, and we need to acknowledge science, and we need to learn from science, and we need to wrestle with science, things in science, right? But here's the deal, there's a big difference. I was watching this video about C.S. Lewis, because he wrote a lot about this. And so there's a big difference um, between, oh, I can't remember exactly the phrase, but it's acknowledging science and like, um, uh, I forget the term, but it's like worshiping science. Like, are you going to just, are you going to, to enter into science and understand, or is it going to be your God? And is it going to completely drive? That's naturalism, okay? There's a difference, all right? So natural people won't see the supernatural. We continue, verse five. Let's read verses five through seven together. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the, he the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So, to counter the naturalist argument, where, where is evidence of him doing anything in creation? There, there, he is not going to come again. What did, what did they specifically say? Where is the promise of his coming, right? So the naturalist discounts miracles, Sometimes we're like Dory because we actually forget, right? Other times, now I have heard, sometimes we deliberately overlook facts. Not, certainly not in my home, I would never do a thing like that. But you know, um, any husbands out there ever been guilty of deliberately overlooking? Yeah, sometimes we deliberately overlook facts and we don't even realize we're doing it because we're so bent on the way I see it, that's the way it is, right? deliberately overlooking this fact. The heavens existed long ago. God created everything. Science can't explain that. Even if a scientist was right there at the very beginning of creation, he couldn't, it wouldn't line up because God was doing a thing completely out of, outside of natural laws and natural rules to create everything. God created everything. It was miraculous. It was evidence of his great power, the great, same great power that raised Jesus from the dead and the same great power that's going to do some amazing things in the future. He created everything. But then it says, by the same power, by his word, uh, it perished by the power of God. Now, this is 
This is kind of an odd. This doesn't give us many specifics. What's going here on here in verse 6? Something about water, destroying the creation. I'm not sure what's going on here, but I told you it's very, we're, we're in luck today because Houston Kids is here. And so I need a few volunteers from Houston Kids. Yep, in the back, Nolan, go ahead. Emmy, do I have one more volunteer? Anybody, anybody? That's all right, three is, all right, there we go. Come on, Braden, right? All right. Now, remind me of your names. I know we got Nolan and Kylie, Kylie and Emmy and Brayden, right? All right, guys. All right, kind of, kind of turn to the sign here. So these are, you know, every Sunday when we, we have sermon without kids, they're in there. They're learning the Bible stories, and so they are now Bible experts, right? Sure, of course you are. That's not the confidence that uh, Miss Ellen, uh, uh, no. All right. So I've got some questions for you. First one. God came to a man and said there will be a flood. Who was that man? Yes, Kylie. Noah. Who was it? Noah. Noah. Yes, that is correct. It was Noah. God came to Noah and said there was going to be a flood. Now, why was God going to send a flood? Who knows that one? Go ahead, Emmy. Because he was going to redo the world. Mm, he was going to redo the world. That's, that is correct. That was what he was going to do. What led him to desire to, to uh, renew the world? Yeah, Braden. All the people were corrupt and evil. They were corrupt and evil. There was wickedness throughout the world. Is that correct, Nolan? Yep. Yes. God created everything and it was good. But sin entered the world. It was corrupt and evil. And so God is going to start over to renew, right? And uh, what did God tell Noah to build? Go ahead, Noah. An ark. An ark, right? In a big open land, we're going to build an ark. And what did the others think about Noah who, as he was building this ark? All the other people are watching him. How do you think they react? Go ahead, Kyle. They thought he was probably foolish. Yeah, foolishness. What are you doing, you crazy person? This makes no sense. There's not, we haven't had rain in how long? And you're building an ark? For a flood, that's foolishness, right? Yeah, so um, do you think it was hard for Noah uh, to continue building that ark with everybody mocking him? You guys think so? Yeah? Why do, you, why do you think he kept building it? Go ahead. Because God told him to and he trusted God. Because God told him to and he trusted God. You know what? There's going to be things that completely defy our experience, completely defy logic. Foolishness. But will you trust God when he says to do it? Will you have faith? Will you trust God when he says, I'm coming again, and it's going to be powerful and amazing? Thank you, guys. You did an amazing job. Give him a hand for uh, helping us out so we understand the story of Noah. That was great. Yes. They say it was foolish. it's foolishness to believe the miraculous. That's what the skeptics will say. But he's done it before, right? And he's going to do it again. Before we get to that point, though, we've got our friend Dory. And what does Dory want us to know? Remember this. remember this. So what do we need to remember this time from these verses about God's creation and the flood? God renewed his creation before. It was his creation. And he renewed it before. He brought judgment upon the sin in the land and the wickedness. And there was destruction. But it was not, while it was a, a, a massive destruction that, that completely overhauled the physical earth, and wiped out everything wicked, it was not a complete destruction in the, as much as it was a renewal. Yes. One, one of the four, I think Emmy pointed out, he was renewing his creation. That's what he was doing in that destruction. Boy, that destruction sounds scary. 
But when your direction is toward Jesus, right, you're on the right path to be part of that renewal, and that's a good thing. Noah and his family experienced the blessing. Verse seven, okay. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The day of the Lord is coming. Scripture talks about the day of the Lord, right? He renewed his creation again. He's gonna renew, before he's gonna renew it again. There's a day of judgment coming. I tell you what, you read through these things, and they can sound pretty scary, and I, for good reason. We should take it seriously. Just as I wouldn't have wanted to be around when the, the flood came on the earth, I certainly don't want to be around in the wrong position when that judgment and destruction of the ungodly comes again. Okay? And instead of water, it's going to come with fire. What does fire do? I mean, fire can destroy, but when you put, put the right thing in fire, like certain metals and stuff, what's it going to do? It's going, it's going to burn off everything impure, purify it, so you just have the pure left. And that's what's going on here. We're going to jump ahead to verse 12 and 13 before we move, before we come back to that, because it goes into greater detail here. It says, waiting, let's see, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What is going on here? If you read any commentaries, scholars, I mean, they've got all sorts of different ideas about what these terms mean. And if you look at a different translation, if any of you have the King James, New King James, some of these words are even translated different. When talk, talking about the heavenly bodies, well, what is that? Um, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of different speculation about what is exactly going on here on the day of the Lord when judgment comes and that massive purification renewal happens. And you know what? God did that on purpose. We're not supposed to know all the details. A lot of times we're so fascinated with last things that we feel like we have to understand it all. We don't. God didn't want us to understand it all. He wants us to get the big idea. This is not a position I want to be in, a position of judgment. When I am living and following my own sinful desires, I don't want to be around on the earth for that. I want to be following Jesus to experience the opposite, the new earth. In the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're going to talk more about that next week. Come back more if you want to learn, hear more about this good, good, awesome promise we have of the new heavens and the new earth, the hope we have. Righteousness dwells there. Jesus was perfectly righteous. That perfect, righteous way of God exists in the new heavens and new earth. All right, let's keep going. We've got our friend Dory, which she wants us to know. Remember this. remember this. And this time, Dory wants us to remember, actually, Peter wants us to remember, God will renew his creation again. God renewed his creation before God, he's going to renew his creation again. So continuing to walk through 2 Peter. Oh, no, I skipped ahead. All right. All right, let's look at, uh, all right, you've gotten a sneak peek. But let's look at verses, uh, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. Ignore the Lord of the Rings imagery. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Beloved, there it is again, that with the, day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So, yes, I've got a picture here. Oh, my goodness. 
I, am, uh, I need a license for this clicker here. It's not working. And uh, going the wrong direction, I think. All right. That's all right. Uh, is it upside down? No, I don't think it is. <laughs> That's what mom says. Well, mom must be right. It's okay. Richard, are you able to move it over to the Lord of the Rings? I might completely screw it up if I do. Okay. I might need your help to do other slides after this. We'll see. Yeah, so why do I have this? Frodo and the wizard. You know, this is, this is like the first, in the movie, this is the first time that they talk to each other. And Frodo, he says to the wizard, he says um, to Gandalf, uh, he says, you're late. And what does Gandalf say? Now, it's important to know that, that when J.R.R. Tolkien wrote these, he was, he was writing these awesome stories as allegories for the Christian life and to learn truths about God. And Frodo says, you're late. And Gandalf says, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He always comes when he intends to or something to that effect. And as I've been studying this passage, that's just stuck with me with Gandalf saying, first of all, I remember that line because they do this really weird laugh after this. I'm like, that was kind of weird. But it, uh, I remember Gandalf saying that because that is true about our God. God. Our God is never late, nor is he early. He comes exactly when he intends to. And that's what Peter's talking about here. So our, our view of time is completely different than God's view of time. A day like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. Have you ever been talking to God and say, you are late? You ever been there? You with me on that? Where sometimes you're like, God, you're supposed, you were supposed to have intervened by now, right? So the, early, the Christians that Peter's writing to, persecution is going on. God, where are you? You haven't, you haven't come back yet. We've been waiting on you. You were supposed to have intervened long before my friend, you, you know, Sam over there was crucified upside down. Why haven't you come back yet, God? You can imagine the frustration. God, where are you? And then the skeptics on the side, well, I told you, bozos, that's foolishness. How could you believe that, that stuff anyways? Where is your God right now when you guys are suffering for Jesus? Clearly, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness. Will you have faith? Will you remember that, that God is working outside beyond what we can see, beyond our perception? And here's the irony. While we are calling out to God and being impatient. Why hasn't God intervened? It's said it is his patience toward us, wishing that, that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We're waiting on God, but he's waiting for us, right? Maybe he's waiting for you to take that step and truly turn to him. Maybe you're waiting right now for God to completely fix your situation, no matter what that situation may be, Whatever misery you're enduring, God, would you jump in and fix this? And he's waiting for you to turn to him and give him your life. Maybe that's some of you sitting here today where you've been kind of dabbling in church and dabbling in church. And I'm like, God, I'm just waiting for you to do something mighty here. And then maybe I'll give you my whole life. And God is saying, I want to give you so much, but I'm giving, I'm, this my patience because I'm waiting for you to turn to me so you can be a child of God. Don't wait any longer. We continue. Let's see if I even have power with this clicker anymore. I might need you, Richard. There we go. There we go. Okay. Let's, uh, there was a quote by Alistair Begg. Can you hit me up with that one? I think it was right before this. There we go. So a lot of times we are so obsessed with timelines. 
Like my seminary, Dallas Seminary, actually has a reputation for being obsessed with timelines to the point that, um, I mean, it's good to study our scriptures and try to understand it to the best of our abilities. But if we're so obsessed with timelines, we can be missing the point. And I love this quote by Alistair Begg. First of all, he has an awesome British voice, which makes anything incredible. So I'm not gonna do the voice, but um, you can imagine it being British. And, um, but the truth, quoting Augustine, is, is pretty powerful. The quantifier regarding those who love the coming of the Lord, fascinated with the timelines, right? Is not those who affirm that is, that is very close, nor is it among those who affirm it is far in the distance, but it is to be found in those whom, whether it is near or far, await it with all their hearts. No matter what you believe about the end times, are you so fixated on the details, or are you fixated on Jesus, I love you, and I know you're coming back, and I'm gonna live for your glory in all I say and do. So, moving on to verse, the next. Richard, could I, there you go. All right, so we got Dory again. Which means, remember, Dory wants to know. There we go, there we go. What does she want us to remember? Now, I typo, I supposed to say God. God doesn't work on our clock. I want to put God on my clock so bad. God does not work on our clock. Okay. Now, jumping to verse 10 of 2 Peter. All right. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This, this metaphor is all throughout Scripture. Jesus said it. It was, Paul wrote about it in, second, in one of the Thessalonians, and here Peter is referring to it. The day, this is what you can know for sure. The day of the Lord will come like a thief of the night. You may have, see some charts that say it's coming here, there, whenever, maybe, but this is what we know for sure. It's coming, he is coming like a thief in the night. Now, what does this mean? Now, I don't know, maybe any of you had your home broken into? I haven't had that experience. Uh, but I have had my car broken into, and that alone was a gut-wrenching experience, to come to my car, right? And I, ironically, I was working in security for a church while there was women's Bible study going on, so all these ladies' cars were out there, and uh, they picked on the security guard's car, which is probably a good thing, but, um, but I, I come to my car, and, uh, and, and I saw the glass shattered, that punch in the gut, and uh, they didn't actually get anything because I really didn't have anything of value. My computer bag did not have a computer in it, it was just paperwork. Um, but the abruptness of it, the unexpectedency in, in, in my, that I had, like this, you know, I, you go about your, you never, that doesn't happen to me, it happens to other people. And just the devastation left behind, that's a terrible, terrible feeling, right? The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And let's see, I got an image here. There we go, there we go. Now, First picture is, is what scripture paints, right? Devastation. When if you are, not, if you are following your own sinful dire, desires and just living for yourself, right? And just Jesus will come later. I can get my act together later. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be that abrupt, like you are caught up with the day of the Lord judgment. You do not want to be there. But for, if you are following Jesus, the day of the Lord is going to be completely different. Have you ever seen those videos where the soldier surprises his family after he's been away for months or a year and uh, the complete shock and the joy and the excitement? That's going to be a whole different unexpected experience for those who are in Christ. Just like that little girl hugging her daddy there. 
who she loves. That's the picture we have. That's the expectation we have for those of us in Christ. And Dory wants us to know, remember this, right? Be ready. He's coming back. Be ready. He's coming back. Let's look at the last couple of verses real fast. Starting in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Since all these things are true, God does miracles. God, our supernatural God, has been intervening all throughout history, and he's going to intervene again, just as he said he will, right? Since all of this is true, what sort of people shall we be? Lives of holiness and godliness. Our God is holy, right? Our God is righteous. We are to live in the same way. It says, waiting and hastening for the coming of the day of the Lord. This is an Advent line, by the way. This is common in the season of Advent. Waiting and hastening. That's kind of ironic, right? How do you wait and, wait and hasten? Wait and, I can't even say it, much less do it, right? Waiting, that sounds like we're just sitting back. But hastening, this means I'm doing something to make it Waiting means we are patient with God, knowing that his way is best. It is his plan. He will do it in his own time. I don't know his timing, but I'm going to be faithful. How can I hasten the coming of the Lord? I can live for his glory. I can be involved with sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with my neighbors, my family, make international missions. That's hastening the day of the Lord. Just being faithful, fixed on what he has promised. We wait and we hasten the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord Another thing that I'd throw out to you when I, when I hear this, the coming day of the Lord, you know, I, my family, we love to go to movies. Does anybody else love to go to movie theaters? Man, I'm so sad about the state of movie theaters right now. This is a tough time to ask that question. Yeah, there's a handful of y'all, right? We always go early. Why do you go early? What do you go early to watch? The previews, right? The previews. Sometimes that's even better than the movie. And we sit there with our popcorn and we're watching these previews. And after everyone, we turn to each other and what do we say? Gotta see it. I gotta see that because it's like all the best stuff right there in the, uh, the preview. And not too much. I mean, it's not as good as the movie maybe, but uh, yeah. When you see the preview, you want to go see that movie. That's, 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 how, that's what a good movie preview does. I've seen some movie previews. Like, that was, tell you what, I love Star Wars and the solo story was a, a good movie, but they did a terrible job of selling it. Those previews were awful and nobody went to go see it. Now they're not making a sequel right? If you have a bad trailer, people aren't going to want to go see that movie. Oh, this is a good movie, this age to come, right? This is the best. Anybody who really truly knew about the new heavens and the new earth, they would want to be there. But how are they going to know that? They're not reading their Bibles because we got walking, breathing, living movie previews here. People living lives of holiness and godliness, if the age to come, righteousness dwells there, we need to be people of righteousness in such a way that people see our lives and say, I want what they have. Waiting and hastening. That's us doing our part, being living previews of the age to come so people want to be there. My, my last thought is um, <laughs> just because we've experienced this in our family, we, you know, we love Star Wars, we also love Marvel movies. And I tell you what, it's been a long time since there's been a Marvel movie in this. This pandemic shut down a bunch of the Marvel movies. There's supposed to be Black Widow, the Eternals, I don't know, all these Marvel movies. And we've been waiting a long time. Well, they finally put out a whole bunch of previews. There's going to be a bunch of Marvel shows and movies in 2021. 
It's, that's worth getting excited for right there, right? And uh, my whole family's excited, but i uh, tell you what, my son Nolan, Nolan is, uh, gets especially excited about this. And WandaVision, the, first, the next Marvel TV show, comes out on January 16th. You would not believe how much we've heard about January 16th in our house. It has been dubbed Marvel Day by Nolan, right? Because he's so excited about this show that is coming. It has completely transformed his life to the, to the degree that uh, he has been doing nothing but reading this Marvel encyclopedia that he got. It's preparing him for Marvel Day when the show returns. And not only that, last night we went in his room and uh, like lights are out and he's got his book and he's wearing his Marvel shirt. And he's reading through his book and he's like, I, I'm writing a thousand question quiz for you guys for Marvel, for Marvel Day. So you guys pray for us. But it is, <laughs> there you go. So that's it, only 439. When you are that excited about something, it's gonna completely affect your life, okay? Marvel's awesome, but we are talking about the new heavens and the new earth with our Lord. Doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better. Come back next week. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, but Dory did have one more thing for us. And uh, what does Dory want us to know? Remember this. Remember this. Ex expectations influence our direction. You know, I started, we can go on to the next slide. Uh, I always started by uh, saying our direction influences our expectations, but the same is true. Our expectations influence our direction. When we're excited about the age to come, that's going to influence how we act along the way. So Peter, thank you for the assist, Dory, gave us, but Peter gave us a lot to remember in this passage. These are important things to cling to. I know you know these things. I don't think I taught many of you that many new things, but we need to have these stirred up in our mind. So we are excited about this. So we're taking seriously the warnings of the, of the day of God that is coming, the judgment, so that others can come and experience that repentance and that promise of new life, right? God renewed his creation before, renewed his creation once again. We must be prepared to answer the skeptics, right? We're not gonna have all the answers, but we, if, we, if we spend time in his word, we know his word and live by his word, God will work in that. Church, We've got to live in light of eternity. Our world needs it. Let me pray for a minute. I just want to, as I pray, I want you guys to, to consider, God, how did you speak to me this morning? God, what, what step am I supposed to take to live in light of eternity? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for this Christmas season that we celebrate that you came to this earth to be with us just as you promised. Lord, that was foolishness. The fact that you would, a virgin birth, death on a cross, rising again, that, that was all foolishness to the skeptic. God, but you have proven that you work beyond science, beyond philosophy, beyond what our logical minds can handle. And God, we need to cling to those truths to remember that as we consider that you are going to intervene again and that you intervene in the daily when we don't see it and when it's hard to hear you. God, would you lead, lead us to each take a next step towards living in light of eternity? I pray for each person here. God, how do you want me to live in light of eternity? How can I be a, a living foretaste of the age to come? How can I set my life upon the right path to lo no longer be living for myself, but follow you, Jesus? We give it all to you, God. 
And uh, we're excited to see you move. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a great week. I'll see you next year. <laughs>